We're working through of, uh, what we think is the most important subject this morning. It's the subject of love. If you were here last week, you heard me say very plainly that when Jesus taught, he was asked, what's the most important thing? And his answer was plain. It all comes down to love, loving God and then loving the people around you. Uh, without an awareness first that God has loved me, Jesus made it plain, you'll not get very far in loving the people around you. On the other hand, if you're able to accept God's love, then you're ready to pass it on. And that's the most important thing, according to Jesus. Last week, we started with the person who's closest to you, and that is you. We talked about loving you, receiving God's love, and then loving you. Today, we go one step away from you to the next closest person, and that is your siblings. I know that not everyone here has a sibling. If you're an only child, I'm going to ask you to listen in two ways, partly to help people around you who do have siblings. They could use your help. Secondly, if you grow up to become a mom or a dad and then have two kids, what you hear about today will help you because as anyone who has a sibling will tell you, sometimes it's hard to love our siblings. No, you're not allowed to say amen. I asked some close friends in preparation for this message if they had any guidance for me, any advice as I delivered a message on loving your siblings. All of them said, no, I can't give you any advice. I have a friend who's going to be coming from England. He'll be preaching here in February. I gave him the list of subjects and I asked him, is there one that you would most like to, to preach on? And he said, anyone but the siblings because I need to hear that message I'm not in a position to give it. Uh, I texted another friend who's a pastor uh, this week. Do you have any thoughts on this subject? He responded, hmm, <laughs> let me get back to you. I, I thought, you know, he probably won't get back and I can tell everybody that on Sunday. He did get back about an hour later. Why would you preach on loving your siblings? <laughs> and there's an answer to that. And I want to start by telling you that the reason it's worth beginning there, there, there are really two sides to it. On the one hand, even if we didn't have the scriptures at all, most of us will know that life is better when we get along with our brothers and sisters, and it's worse when we don't. Uh, a few of us will know that so many of the conflicts that not only happen between us and our siblings, but us and the world around, that they're less impactful on us. The challenges mean less when we have the support of people close to us, like our siblings. And so for that reason alone, it's worth talking about. Uh, wherever you are this morning, if you have the best relationship with your siblings or the worst, my hope for you as a pastor is to give you uh, from, from God's word and, and from uh, what we can learn to give you something that will help you love a little better. Every one of us can do that. that that's one reason why it's worth talking about. Here's a second reason. This is very specific. Uh, you can't get very far if you want to study the subject of love in the New Testament. You can't get very far without running up against this fact. If you love God, you also have to love the people who are close to you. And again, this brings us back to what Jesus said last week. You can't love God and, and be at odds with all the people around you. And if you're a sibling, that includes your brothers and sisters in, in the flesh, just as it does in faith. I want you to look at uh, these words from the gospel, or excuse me, from John, uh, one of Jesus' close friends from 1 John. It's from a letter that one of Jesus' close friends wrote. 
in chapter four of 1 John, verse 20, those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And all the people said, amen. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a challenge that for some of us might feel impossible. The first time I heard those words, I was a freshman in high school and I had an older brother, sophomore in high school. And my brother was a good brother. He included me in the things that we both were interested in. We skateboarded together, we surfed together. He let me join him in those things. When we got into the youth group at the church where we both went, we loved the youth group, the sophomore students had a Bible study and freshman students were not invited to it. And so he went off to Bible study and I couldn't join him. And the truth is I was jealous. Some of you know what that's like with your siblings? And I'm sure I was really difficult and obnoxious. I remember one evening, a fight broke out. I think it was after he went to this Bible study and I was being a brat. And it ended, I don't know what it was, uh, the details uh, of the, the conflict were, but it ended with me saying right to his face, I hate you. Uh, have you ever said that to one of your siblings? Or have you felt it? Well, that's when my brother quoted this passage to me. Sometimes it's really, really hard to love the people who are closest to you, and especially our siblings. Some, some will say, well, yes, okay, there's a reason for that. It's hardwired into us to be in conflict with the people we're closest to. It's just how it works. Some of you uh, have had episodes like the one I've just recounted and worse with your siblings. And, you know, there, there are some who say, you can just look into the, the animal kingdom and you see it. Conflict is hardwired into siblings. That's how it works. Uh, the black eagle is a great example. This majestic bird always lays two eggs. The mother bird is there caring for both. One of them always hatches first. The chick that comes out first, it begins to eat. It grows stronger. By the time its sibling hatches, well, that older sibling always does the same thing. Researchers say it usually lasts about three days. The attacks begin from the older sibling. They persist many, many dozens of times, and with its beak, it pecks its sibling to death, and that's how it goes. I hear some people disgusted. <laughs> the truth about siblings is, is we can be like black eagles. Some of you come from black eagle environments and homes, and what you did is you got out of the nest, and you're not going back. And the suggestion from me this morning that if you're going to love God, you have to learn to love your siblings sounds like, well, it can't possibly count for me. Uh, gosh, the furthest thing from love is what I feel for them. I hate them. Listen, love here is not a feeling, but it's an action that we, each one of us, are capable of. And if it feels like you could never do that with your sibling, let me heighten the tension. I'll loosen it up later, okay? Just stay with me. John goes on after saying that you're a liar if you can't love your brother and, and say you love God. He says in verse 21, the commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. You see, that's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not good advice. And the truth is, it is good advice. If you can get along with your siblings, it's good for you. 
But here John says it's a commandment that you must love the people who are closest to you. Now, before I continue, even one second more, let me say, I, I want to acknowledge that for some of you, it does feel utterly and truly impossible. Not all of you. Some of you have good sibling relationships. I want you to stay with me so that you can have even better ones. The world needs you to. But some of us think impossible. Uh, if what was commanded here was a feeling, then yes, impossible. You can't control what you feel. But here is commanded an action, and it is an action that pertains to a relationship that for many of us is strained. There's a reason why so many of my friends said, I can't give you guidance. It's because many of us, and if, if you're thinking right now, well, if you only knew my sibling, many of us have situations like that. And what we're gonna do this morning is make some progress by facing this subject head on, the subject of what it's like to be in relationship with siblings. And here's where I want us to start. I want us to start with honesty. And what's true about sibling relationships is that as long as there have been siblings, there has been conflict between them. So if you face that, you're not alone. Do you hear me? If you open the Bible where you read in the very first chapters of the Bible about how humanity came into being, the first sibling group you meet did not get along very well. If you're chuckling, you're thinking about Cain and Abel. They're the first two. Adam and Eve have uh, these two boys, Cain and Abel, and it is an understatement to say they did not get along very well. Uh, one of them was sure, Cain, was sure that God favored Abel over him, and that didn't sit well with him, and the way he dealt with that was by eliminating his brother. He murdered him. That's the first story of siblings in the Bible. You go on from there, you think, well, maybe that's just an anomaly. You come over and over again to the same pattern. You have Jacob and Esau. These two brothers are in competition for the one uh, birthright that comes from dad, and they both want it. And so one of them puts on a show. He, he tricks his father. He deceives his dad in order to get from his brother what actually belongs to him. Again, it's not a pretty picture. This does not look like siblings getting along. You go on from there, you can come across sisters that are like this. Do you know the story of Rachel and Leah? Here are two women. There's one man who comes into the village. They both want that one guy, right? One man, two women. And so what happens? They're in competition. Uh, again and again, you see this. Do you know the story of Joseph and his brothers? This guy, Joseph, had an amazing coat, and his brothers were jealous. Already fashion was causing divisions back then. Uh, the, the truth about Joseph was that his father regarded him more highly than the rest, and there was jealousy because, well, they wanted th the love of their dad. And what we see over and over again in these stories is that it's quite normal for siblings to be in conflict. But not only do we see that, we see a pattern emerging already in the earliest stories. And the pattern, if you dwell on it, is plain. It's not too different from what you see with those two eagles in the nest. It is that siblings tend to experience life in the family as a competition for limited resources. So that as soon as there's another individual there in the nest... Well, the math is done in the mind, which says, well, there used to be love and it all went to you, but now that they're present, some of it has to go to them. And so every bit of love that goes there is a bit of love that's removed from you. And when that perception gets rooted into a child's heart, the beak comes out 
and the pecking begins. Do you see it? Social scientists have studied this phenomenon for a long time. They name it sibling rivalry. Yeah, you know about this. The the research is remarkable. Uh, By age one, children are already to perceive, they're already able to perceive differences in the amount and quality of attention that they receive compared to their siblings. Uh, By 18 months, they're already uh, able to know what the family rules are and manipulate their behavior either to help and assist others in the family doing what's right or to harm and undermine the sense of well-being for others in the family. Already at 18 months, they can already be little stinkers. Uh, When they get older, they just become more capable of emotional, physical, and intellectual manipulation of their environments, either to help or to harm. If you have adolescence, now you want to shout amen, but hold it in. (laughs) Kids can really be mean, can't they, to each other? And this is not just kids who don't get along. Michelle and I have kids who love each other. Nate and Lily are best friends until they want to kill each other, and they say it. And, And the most creative they ever are is when they're strategizing on how to harm one another. And, and it all comes back, I think it all comes back to the same dynamic that you can see in the Black Eagle family, and it is this, the perception that there is a necessary resource which is limited, and, in, and, and I'm in competition for that resource with my siblings, is the root of the conflict that drives brothers and sisters who ought to love one another apart and makes them into enemies who are in competition with one another. Uh, In the black eagle nest, the mother is there the whole time while the sibling is killing the other, and there's a reason why she doesn't stop it. It's because there really is a limited amount of resources in the place where they're born. In the mountains where these eagles come up, the environment cannot sustain two babies in each family. And so it has to go like that. Now, here's the truth that I want to tell you about every family and every one of you, okay? That we may grow up in a place that teaches us that there is a limited resource of love available to us, but it is my joy and my pleasure to tell you this morning that there is no limit to the love that is available to you. And if you could take this into your heart, the world around you will change. If everyone could take this into heart, the world around us would completely be transformed. And I know some of you already know what I'm getting at when I say there's no shortage of love. Some of you um, have come as visitors and you're, you're not as clear as others of us maybe are about what the message of Christian faith is. But here, I'll tell you in the simplest way I can. There is no shortage of love for anyone. And I'm not talking about the family that you grew up in. For some of you, it's so easy to say, no, if he knew my family, he would know. I am so broken and shattered and insecure and unhealthy in all of my environments because of the lack of love that was there with my parents. They were so cruel to me. If he only knew, they would, he would know why I'm so broken. I'm not just talking about families like that. Even the best family in here, would you imagine for a moment that you had the best family that anyone could ever have? Your parents divided the love up perfectly. There was always equal attention, always equal regard. Everything you did, you were encouraged. Imagine even that. That's not enough. 
Moms and dads in here, can I tell you this right now? You don't have enough love in you to set things right with your kids. Did you hear me? If you're thinking while I'm talking about sibling rivalry, I need to learn about the rivalry between my own children this morning. Forget my siblings, but my children, or some of you in that place, you'll have to wait until my friend from England comes. He's preaching on children. That's what he gets for not preaching on this one. (laughs) But for this morning, you, stop thinking about your kids for a moment and think about you. Even if your parents loved you perfectly, there still was not enough food in that nest. And what the gospel tells you, you've heard that word, the gospel, right? What the gospel says to each and every man and woman is that there's enough for you and for everybody because that's who God has decided to be, the one who loves perfectly, the one who loves in freedom, the one whose love will never, ever run out ever. The one whose love is there for you at every single moment, every single instance. You may go along throughout your life not paying attention to it, but at every moment you're free to pause and stop, see yourself just as you are even in this moment, and then to trust the truth that you are infinitely beloved by God. There is no end to the love which he has for you. If I start in a morning like this and tell you, if you don't love your siblings, you can't love God, and you hear that as bad news, Let me tell you that before John said that, he said this right here. This is verse 19 in that same chapter. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. That's worth saying amen about. You can say that. That's an amen moment, all right? He he first loved us. I'm afraid that this second part of the statement, he first loved us, is something which Christians take for granted. We don't think about it enough. Every time we hear that phrase, it should shake us to imagine, because this is what John meant, to imagine the gravity of what he's saying there. What John means when he says he loved us first is that God, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who has all power and all might, all wisdom, who is perfectly holy, that God looked down upon creation And what God saw was all of the men and women he's made, all of them, and he's seen their disarray and how hard their lives have become and the lack of love and the way they beat up on each other like black eagles. And God was not content to let them go in that way, but instead what God did is he became a man in Jesus Christ. God omnipotent became a baby and did so for one purpose, to love us and to love us by rescuing us from the misery of a life where we live in a nest that doesn't have enough for us. He's come and what he's done in Jesus. This is what John says. This is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and he gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to be the propitiation for the mess that we find ourselves in. That means to restore each and every one of us to the proper relationship with God, our true father, so that there's no longer any barrier between us and the love that we can't live without. And there's more than enough of that love. There's enough of that love to put you in the place where you're able to let go of the immature insecurity that drives you to be in competition with the people around you, especially your siblings. There's enough of that love to assure you deep down inside that you're free to stop measuring your own value against how well your brother or sister is doing. There's enough for that too. 
There's enough of God's love for you to make it so even if they harm you, you're okay because your well-being is firmly established by the hands of the divine and omnipotent Father who's holding you still and is ready to heal every wound, even the ones that those closest to you put upon you. There's enough love there to make it so you can let go and forgive them for all that's behind you. There's enough love there, this is complicated, but listen, for you to feel confident in putting up barriers between you and your siblings. You have got your own nest now and they're not allowed in. You follow me? There's enough love in God so that, here the first half of this statement, so that we love. That word because there, in Greek, it's a very small particle. It has a a range of meanings. We love because, in the sense that this truth that God has enough love for all of us motivates and inspires us to love the people around us. I want to be very practical here. I promise that if you think about your sibling and imagine all the moments of harm and hurt, you're not going to get very far. But if instead you think for a moment of your heavenly father who is over both of you and imagine his love is infinite for both, that's inspiring, isn't it? Doesn't it give you a little bit of freedom to put down your weapons? It inspires us. That word because can also mean... uh, that we are enabled to love. We love because God has enabled us with the outpouring of his infinite divine love to have enough to share with our siblings around us. To come back into the image of the nest, uh, for the black eagle, there may not be enough food, but for every one of us here, there's plenty. And that means we are free to stop living like eagles with our siblings. And here's how I'm gonna guide you this morning. You are free to stop living like eagles and to start living more like wolves. Did he say wolves? Did the pastor just tell me I should be more like a wolf? Yes, I did. Hang with me for a minute here. I'm going to guess that this is the only time in church that the pastor's ever told you to be like a wolf. Am I right? Because they're usually the bad guys dressed like the good guys, sheep, right? No, listen. In nature, the wolf, unlike the eagle, has learned the value of cooperation over competition. You know that when a wolf is born, it grows up in a pack. And the pack is the social matrix which has learned the value of cooperation, which, which has learned that when we work together, uh, then there's enough, even in an environment where it is as if there is not enough. And you can uh, read about the studies that... Um, so, uh, that what, what, what's the kind of scientist that looks after wolves? I need help here. A wolf scientists have done... <laughs> Now you're like, does he really know what he's talking about? (laughs) Wolves get along, all right? The pups are helped by their older siblings. They're they're helped uh, with protection. They're helped with instruction. They're taught how to hunt. They're they're offered uh, assistance and and learning, and and they're they're brought into social situations. Uh, moments where they grow and, and they, there's affection that grows for them and they have to work together because if they always go on competing, there'll never be enough. But when they begin to cooperate, that's when there's enough. And here is the very simple guidance that I will give us this morning for our own siblings. It is how will we love them? It, it is this, we will stop competing and we will start 
cooperating. And I don't care how good or how bad your relationship with your siblings is, there's no one here who couldn't improve by cutting out some of the competition which tends to characterize their relationship and instead introduce behaviors that are cooperative so that they grow together in love. I'm right about that, aren't I? Yeah. Now listen, uh, the practical guidance that the New Testament offers on love is so comprehensive and so rich and so textured and so magnificent that anyone who tried to compress it into the end of a message would be out of his mind. And so here's what I want you to do. Look, look at these texts here. I've uh, spent some time this week just scanning the New Testament to find places where what love looks like is put in a, in a particularly effective manner. And here are five places in, in the New Testament that I've got up here so that you yourself would perhaps accept the challenge of taking time this week and reading through these with your own sibling relationships in mind. Uh, each one of these uh, uh, affords an immense and very, very practical and real and beautiful picture of what it would look like to cooperate with the people that God has put in your life around the rubric of love. Every one of them assumes that you're in the place where you're ready to trust that God has loved you and then out of that, love others. And then if you'll go here, you'll see what that looks like. Okay, if you can't um, capture this right now with your phone, uh, we have social media, um, and I don't know enough even about social media to tell you what that means, but someone told me, mention social media. Um, is that the right way to say it? We have it. We have it. And you can find it better than I can. But if you go on Renaissance Church's social media, whatever, you'll find these passages. And I'm telling you, you take the time to read through Ephesians 4, 25 and following. Uh, or Colossians 3, 1 and following. Or read the uh, first Peter or the whole chapter uh, 13 of, of 1 Corinthians and do that asking, how can this help me love my brother or my sister? And I promise you that God will give you something that you personally can do to make progress. And here, if you will make progress in this regard, your life will be better. And I know that some of you are going to think, but you don't know how difficult my siblings are. You're right. I don't know that. I don't. But I do know that always and always again, you are free, even as they are difficult or, di or, or, or resistant, to take steps yourself to love. And here you'll find an abundance of guidance. Uh, to be very particular with you, I want to take you through the last of those five. Uh, you see Romans chapter 12, 9, uh, through 15, 13. You don't need to get very far uh, in this passage even to see what it would look like for you to stop competing and start cooperating. If you uh, take my challenge and read Romans 12, 9, the first words you come across are these, let love be genuine. Have you ever experienced the sort of fake love? Uh, in Greek, this is love unhypocritically where, where uh, hypocritically is a word that comes from the world of acting. When, when those words were written by the Apostle Paul, the hypocrite was the actor on the stage who wore a mask to play a part. Don't love like that. Love genuinely. Now, if you're thinking right now, oh yeah, that's one of the things that's the worst about my sister. She's always putting it on. She says she's nice. She's sort of... 
Did I seem like you just there? Is it uncanny? No, you love unhypocritically. Do that. Cooperate. And then, well, what would that look like? Here, the guidance that comes in, in the letter of Romans, which was written by Paul, is perfectly appropriate for siblings. If you read past verse 9, the first thing you'll see is, is guidance that says, if you want to be cooperative, be encouraging. Haven't you ever been encouraged? Some of you have siblings who encourage you. Have you ever had an, an encouraging word from a sibling? Show me. Isn't that the best? So do that for your siblings. Be encouraging to them. So many siblings try to outdo each other by getting more attention from mom and dad. Look at what it says here in Romans 12, 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that awesome? Here Paul's saying, if you're gonna compete with the people around you, don't compete to try to get honor compete in trying to show honor. And in that way, you will be encouraging. And that's what it looks like when you love your sibling. Find a way to encourage them. If there are 99 things about them that you despise and only one thing that you like, then here, find a way to capitalize on that one thing and encourage them. If you do it, you'll be cooperating. You'll be loving them. You'll be more like a wolf. And as we all know from church, we should be more like wolves. Here, here's a second thing. Okay, you keep going down after be encouraging. You come to be kind. In verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Now, some of you have siblings that persecute you, and it is so easy to respond in kind by persecuting them back, by fighting back. I'll tell you, I can see it in our own children who go from love to hate faster than a Tesla goes from zero to 60. But don't do that. Instead, be kind. And, and, and here, if they're cruel, respond in kindness. Keep going down in Romans chapter 12. When you get to verse 16, you'll find guidance to be flexible. Uh, you know what it's like when the people around you are stubborn? Well, be flexible. Even if they're stubborn, be flexible. The way that Paul puts it down here in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Now think about that image of harmony. That's when the melody is going along and it changes. That's the singing that goes along with the melody and adjusts accordingly so that what comes out is still good music. And you can do that with your siblings by being flexible. Maybe you've tried one strategy and it doesn't work. Maybe you tried two or three and none of that's happening. Well, be flexible and in that way cooperate with the people who are closest to you. Here, keep going down. In verse 18, you'll read this. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Make peace. I know there are so many of you who live in, in constant war because there's that undercurrent from your siblings. And you might say, well, it's not possible for me. Okay, Paul said, as far as it depends on you, uh, don't try to shape their behavior, but take responsibility for your own. And in that way, do what you can to make peace and cooperate with those who are close. Keep going down. Here's the last one that I want to point out to you in verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. You will cooperate with your siblings when you refuse retaliation. I'm right when I say this, that there's no one who you think about retaliating against more than your siblings. 
And if you're saying, well, you don't know my spouse yet, okay, that's in two weeks. (laughs) Never avenge yourselves. If you keep reading on, and I won't put it on the list, you'll find so many bits of guidance that are so good for siblings. Don't get into senseless arguments. There's plenty of things that you disagree about. Don't talk about them. Stay on the things that you can touch. Don't judge them any longer. That's not your job. Uh, Forgive them over and over again. Welcome them like Christ has welcomed you. All of this is just in Romans. What I want you to see this morning is plain, okay? Here it is. That's what John wants you to see. There's nothing more important than love. And to begin with, you must accept that God has loved you and that there's more than enough love. And you're able to accept that in such a way that now you can turn to the people closest to you and love them. Not a feeling, but an action. Encouragement, kindness, peace, forgiveness, and and a refusal to retaliate. All of that is what you are invited to do now with your siblings. And here, listen, that list up there about how to be cooperative, every one of them, here's what you must take away from this morning. That God in Christ has already perfectly done all of that for you. He sees you and he wants to build you up and encourage you. His kindness is for you and it will never end. His flexibility, I would even say, is there to be patient with you and to wait and to give you another chance. God in Christ has done everything required to make peace and the refusal of retaliation. Well, that brings us back to John's definition of love. Hear this and take it into your heart. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave his son as a sacrifice for us. Take that to heart. That's how much God loves you. Accept it and love your brothers and your sisters also. Let's ask for God's help because we know this will be a challenge. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the chance to be together with these brothers and sisters in Christ. God, our earthly siblings are at times difficult for us to love. We pray that for having spent this time together this morning, we would be better equipped than we have in the past to love them well. God, I pray that each of us would take a step forward from wherever we are, away from competing with and toward cooperating with the people that are closest to us. And God, let us begin with our brothers and our sisters. Remind each of us deep in our hearts that we can do this because of the love with which you've loved us all. Remind us of that. Reassure us of your love and let the response that comes from our hearts be an overflow of this love so that we love the people closest to us well. We ask for this in Jesus' name and for his sake.